Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Strange Familiar for a bonus episode. Oh, I like bonuses. So in this episode, I talked to an author, Lauren Devora, who wrote a book called My Friend Mothman. Is this a children's book? Young adult. Young adult, okay. I mean, not that being friends with Mothman is for a specific time period. (laughs) Sure, maybe. (laughs) You can be friends with Mothman up and well into your late 80s. Exactly. We talk a little bit about the book, but mostly she talks about some of her experiences with ghosts and hauntings and UFOs. This is a bonus episode. The audio is not perfect. I know there are some people who get very irritated by any audio imperfections. I apologize. I just think of it as a more casual approach. (laughs) (laughs) There is weird feedback in this. Every time I speak... There's like a weird feedback echo. It sounds actually pretty sinister. And maybe like the men in black were listening in because we were talking about Mothman and they were mocking me. I did my best to edit it out where I could, but some places I just couldn't. So going into it, just letting everybody know. It's probably not as bad as you're making it out to be. Well, I hope not. But there are some people who demand pristine audio quality (laughs) from from their free podcast. (laughs) And I'm giving that warning ahead of time because no doubt. Mm -hmm. I will get some messages about it. She actually saw with someone else. They both saw it. They were in in a church where they thought there was some haunting activity going on. So so the light turned on. Okay, you hear about that in hauntings all the time. Yeah. But she and another person actually saw the light switch go up. That's pretty wild. Before we get to Lauren's story, I want to talk about our wonderful sponsors, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. If you're having a puppy, if you're having a puppy... (laughs) If you're having a puppy, you probably need someone other than 90 Days of the Perfect Puppy yeah. because there might be something wrong. If you have a puppy, however, mm-hmm. and you need help with training, mm-hmm. no matter what issues you're having, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. They have a relationship-based approach to training. It's not about making your puppy perfect. It's That's about, never going to happen. <laughs> it's about making you and your puppy perfect for each other. Yeah, like any relationship. They have online sources, like a secret Facebook group, One-on-one options are available. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you understand how your dog thinks, which, Allison, Mm -hmm. it's not the way you think. 
I don't know if that's been entirely confirmed, but I guess it's probable that they would be different. But in learning how your dog thinks, you and your puppy can become, of course, perfect for each other. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. All right, let's go ahead and hear Lauren's story and talk a little bit about her book, My Friend Mothman. Tonight we're talking with Lauren Devora, who is an author and a bit of an experiencer and someone with an interest in cryptids. And uh, we're going to hear her stories and talk a little about her book, which is called My Friend Mothman, A Tale of Friendship Between a Girl and a Cryptid. How are you doing tonight, Lauren? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. It's a wonderful book. I mean, it's really not written for specifically for someone my age, but I think... No, it's definitely a YA novel, for sure. Well, I think if you have an interest in cryptids, you can appreciate it at least. But no, I enjoyed the story. It's a very neat little story of uh, a girl and her friendship with Mothman. Thank you. I'm so glad that you liked it. I don't know. I've always had a fascination with Mothman, and I just, I don't know, in coming up with the story idea, was like, what if Mothman had a best friend and her name was Wendy and she was a human? (laughs) And that's where it went. (laughs) Yeah, I I think um, you and perhaps... uh... One other fellow who did a, a documentary on Mothman, I think back in the 90s, put a more positive spin on it. I think almost everybody else has, has him as the sort of portent of doom. What made you go that direction? Well, like I said, I've always had a fascination with Mothman. And I remember, uh, I can't remember exactly which book I was reading or which like article about Mothman I was reading, but there was a almost a consensus within some of the cryptic community that perhaps Mothman was trying to warn people about the Silver Bridge collapse Mm -hmm. and wasn't actually a harbinger of doom, but was like trying to be some sort of positive influence or maybe try to change, alter the, the circumstances. And that really stuck with me. And I thought that added a level of empathy and compassion to Mothman that like, we don't really see with like the Mothman prophecies or any of the other, I think, well-known Mothman works. Mothman's pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people yeah. seem to be kind of this like, and I, you know, understandably, mm-hmm. he's supposed to be like this giant, scary-looking cryptid. Um, so I don't blame people, but I don't know. I after hearing that, I was like, oh, what if he was just trying to help people? <laughs> <laughs> and that really stuck with me. I am getting some <laughs> weird feedback whenever I speak. Is that from your? I don't hear it at all. But maybe it was the. Uh... Is the Mothman people listening in on us? Oh no, <laughs> they're they're, li- they're always listening. Well, I mean, I could hit you with a bunch of different information about John Keel saying, you know, really kind of pushing against any idea of that there's any kind of positivity towards the Mothman sightings. But the truth yeah. is, we don't know. And and I myself, when the I don't know if you followed the the Chicago sightings, the more recent ones. I did. Yeah. And it was really funny because those started coming out around the time that I was telling people that my book was about to be published. Okay. And I think I was getting DM'd the articles about the Chicago Mothman sightings like eight times a day. (laughs) I had a lot of people saying like, oh, you, you follow Mothman. Like here's the, you know, everybody was sending me stuff about the Chicago ones and I I got all excited again. (laughs) Yeah. There was a percentage of the uh, sort of cryptid community that was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop in Chicago. They're kind of, you know, oh, something bad's going to happen, you know. Because, I mean, yeah. Because it's Mothman. <laughs> and I really actually pushed against that. I said, well, we don't know that. You know, I, I wouldn't look for that necessarily. Because if you start looking for it, then you're, you know, anytime somebody stubs a toe, you're going to you know, play <laughs> Mothman. Exactly. So when you did the research for this book, did you visit Point Pleasant? I have yet to go. It is on my list. I wanted to go in 2020, but of course, all plans in 2020 were postponed mm-hmm. <laughs> for obvious reasons. I would love to go if po- if tra- if travel is possible this year in 2021. I would love to go to especially especially the Mothman Festival, yeah. which is <clears throat> like I don't know. I every time I see pictures and even like video clips of the Mothman Festival, I'm like, those are my people. <laughs> like it's just a bunch of people that get together and kind of celebrate this combined love and fascination and a little bit of terror of Mothman. 
Um, so no, I haven't gone yet, but I did as much research as I could about specifically the McClintock Wildlife Preserve and the TNT area and the surrounding forest and kind of river area mm-hmm. around the <clears throat> part of West Virginia. So I want to get to your stories and we'll circle back around. We'll talk about my friend Mothman some more uh, a little bit later. But uh, sure. if somebody's looking for it right now, where can they pick up my friend Mothman? Um, right now it is available on Amazon and from my website at laurendebora.com. All right. Now you grew up in the South, right? Yes. Yes, now, I did. Did your, did your experiences happen there or did they happen somewhere else? Well, I've had experiences kind of all over, but most of them I would say are North Carolina based. I have always been extra sensitive to spirits. And so I think my first like memory of a, a spirit interaction, a ghost interaction would be, um, I think it was like first grade. And we went to, I, I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Greensboro has an interesting history. It played a, a pretty, uh, I don't want to say pivotal role, but it played a big role in the Revolutionary War and um, Civil War. And there's like multiple like historical sites for things. And I remember in first grade going and seeing somebody who I thought was like a period actor because the dress looked, she, she was in a, a big um, hoop skirt kind of dress. And I just, I saw her out of the corner of my eye and I thought that she was just a costumed actor or somebody who's working at the museum. And then when I turned around, she was gone. And I remember asking my teacher later about her and my teacher was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) There was nobody dressed up today. And so I was like, oh, and like, I didn't say anything else about it though because I thought, you know, that would be weird. And I didn't want to draw more attention to it. So I just kind of was like, okay. Probably my first experience with like a spirit uh, apparition. So when did your interest in cryptids start? Oh gosh, probably as a child. (laughs) Um, Definitely started with like, I think like a lot of cryptid enthusiasts, uh, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and Mothman. And then I read about the Jersey Devil when I was in middle school, and that was really, really fascinating for me. And then it just kind of grew from there. And now I have people... (sighs) Sorry, that was my dog. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He's sitting next to me on the couch. Um, I I now have a lot of people who send me cryptids that I've never heard of, and I go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about them. It's all really fascinating. So let's hear about some of your other experiences. Um, yeah. So I think the one that probably influenced me the most or affected me the most, my mom and I moved into a house when I was 12. She had just gotten divorced and um, we were living just her and I, and we moved into a home just outside of Greensboro it was an older home when we bought it, I think uh, maybe like a few years ago, it finally turned a hundred and some, um, but it was already a, a pretty old home. And I remember when we went in to visit the house, like to do like a walkthrough, noticing some really strange things about the rooms themselves and, and the doors. And there were all these locks on the doors. It was It was just an eerie house. It had like a very eerie feeling you didn't quite feel comfortable no matter where you were in the house but of course you know it was within her price range and we needed to move out of where we were so she bought it and my mom isn't particularly she doesn't not believe but she is catholic (laughs) and i think she takes an approach that's a little bit more like if she can't see it and can't understand it then she's just not going to pay attention to it which is kind of what the Catholic church says to do about spirit. Like just ignore it. It'll go away. So she didn't really, I don't think she really noticed, but I definitely noticed. I was very sensitive to it and it just got worse. Like we moved in and at first it's like exciting because it's a new home, but it really was uncomfortable for me at least. Um, And it would get worse at night. And then I started noticing talking it was whispered conversations back and forth and at first I thought it was maybe just the house settling or traffic next to the house or something um but it really sounded like a male and female voice communicating back and forth in like a a hushed tone 
and it sounded like they were arguing. And I would hear this pretty much from, you know, the time the sun went down to whenever I was able to finally fall asleep, I would just hear this kind of constant. And sometimes it would be worse. Sometimes I, I wouldn't hear it. It wasn't every day, but it would always kick up at night. And um, you could hear footsteps as well. You would always hear footsteps go from the front door kind of, and the house was so old, it didn't have hallways. So it's a an older style house that there are no hallways. It's just doors going from room to room. So some rooms had like three or four doors because you that would be the room that you just had. If you were going to like one bedroom to the kitchen or whatever, you just have to go through different rooms. So you could hear footsteps going from the front door all the way through like the kitchen, the office, my room. <laughs> like it was this weird winding pattern, but it was distinctly footsteps. And then the smells started and it would be perfume at one point, um, really heavy cigar smoke. And, you know, anytime I bring it up, my mom would say, oh, well, it's probably, you know, humidity in the wood causing the scents to come out, which that is a, a legitimate, anybody's in a house that's older than 10 years, <laughs> they know exactly what that, that is. But there were just so many other things that you couldn't explain away, really, or I couldn't, at least as a, as a kid, as a preteen. And what was really the definitive part for me, other than the whispered conversations, was that you just felt like you were being watched all the time. And that's a very unnerving feeling to just be experiencing at all times inside your house. So I feel like that went on for quite a while and the more I brought it up the more it would just like annoy my mom <laughs> so I kind of learned to just stop talking about it I'd constantly hear the footsteps I'd be hearing the arguing and then about a year and a half after we moved in my mom was having a conversation with I guess the realtor and the niece of the people who had lived in the house before us okay and yeah. turns out the wife had had pretty severe um, dementia and it was paranoid dementia and she thought that her husband was trying to kill her all the time which is why she had five locks on every single door and like the doors to the bathrooms would have deadbolts and there were and like inside the closets would have locks on the inside and I was like who puts locks on the inside of a closet <laughs> and uh. then we find out like she had really severe paranoid dementia and she her anytime she was having a bad episode she would get very frightened of him so she would hide and she would lock herself into her room and um we don't really know what he was like um but they when they moved out and they sold i guess they moved out a while ago and then they were renting the property and then they eventually sold it to us but they lived in a nursing home and around the time that we had bought the house is when they had passed away so to this day, I'm still not sure if it was a residual haunting or if it was intelligent or a combination of both. But there was definitely something in that house that was, I, I feel like it was there for the majority of my high school years. It kind of finally started to fade when I got to senior year of high school. But still, that's like from 12 to 18. So that's six years of just constant and nothing got moved, nothing, you know, we didn't, it wasn't like poltergeist, like the TV didn't turn on or anything. Um, but, you know, the same stuff happening pretty frequently, footsteps, weird smells, whispered conversations, that sort of thing over and over and over again. It kind of wore on you. And eventually my mom did accept that, yeah, our house is probably haunted. <laughs> it's it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, it faded as you got older and it started when you moved in at a, at a fairly young sort of preteen age. I mean, that's <laughs> high time for poltergeist activity. Right. And doing more research on poltergeist because now I'm obsessed with spirit stuff and I love learning about it. So doing more research about poltergeist activity, it didn't quite fit the criteria because I think a lot of poltergeist activity is classified as like objects moving and um, it being like really chaotic and it kind of coming in bursts. Right. And then it, it kind of, I call it like almost um, like spiking the meter, mm -hmm. like something mm -hmm. spikes the meter and things happen and then it kind of goes away and something spikes the meter. 
and you can kind of tie that to somebody's emotions. But this was pretty much the same thing over and over and over again. I should try to find my journals from back then and see, <laughs> see if anything uh, correlated. But also, you know, I now live in a, a house in Massachusetts and I believe it's haunted. So I just keep moving from haunted house to haunted house. Um, but I feel like when you move into a place, it stirs things up and eventually spirit either accepts that you're there or things get to an untol like an intolerable level. So, well, you know, when people tell me that they have these repeat experiences in multiple locations, I always tell them to th what's the common denominator. It's me. Yes. <laughs> well, and I, I do accept that. And I, I think part of it too, is that I am sensitive to spirit. So I think I am going to be the common denominator in a lot of things because I notice it more than maybe other people. And, you know, noticing things in public places too. And um, I think one of my favorite quote unquote ghost stories to tell people is <laughs> when I was on a really terrible first date and we were at a bar and um, uh, we were standing at the bar and the guy was ordering our drinks. And I saw out of the corner of my eye, I would have sworn up and down, I saw a cat. And I was like, oh, that's kind of, and I even turned, I like turned, I saw a cat jump from, it was like a short kind of, I don't want to call it a bookcase, but it was like a little cart. And I really thought I saw a cat jump off of this cart and dart around the corner. And I so believed it that I started to turn to the bartender and go, I didn't know you could let cats in here. <laughs> and I got about halfway through my sentence of, I didn't know you could let cats. Never mind. And it clicked that it was probably a ghost. <laughs> it was a ghost cat. And that one's usually a, a bit of a party pleaser. People like hearing about ghost animals. But I do recognize that I tend to be the, the sensitive one in the group, which probably means I'm going to experience more ghosts than average people. I liken it to art or music in that it's available to everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone has the ability to, to see and experience these things. But as with art and music, some people, they can just do it. They don't have to practice. They were born with whatever ability or, or they just have a natural inclination towards it. And I kind of liken it to that. I, I don't think that it's, you know, certain people have magical powers or anything like that. Not that you were saying that, but I, I mean, just to, you know, for the audience's sake, I think, again, it's it's available to everyone. Some people just have to practice it more and develop it, while other people, it's just, it's just there for them. I really like that analogy. I think that's very accurate because you're right. It's not something that everyone can't do. It's just some people are born with an uh, inclination to do it a little bit um, easier, I guess. And um, it comes a little bit more naturally to some people than it would others, but that doesn't mean that you can't develop the skill. Yeah. Art, I can art, stop art, drawing art. for years and pick up a pen and I'm, I'm right where I was. Sometimes I even get better just through life experience and so forth. With music, I fight for every note, every note I've ever put down, I fought <laughs> for. So it's, I, I intimately know the difference between, you know, those two forms of learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say if I had to compare anything, it would be like writing. Like I've been writing since I was three, four, whenever I had a concept of language. <laughs> um, I, I've been concocting stories since I was little and it's very natural to me, but I cannot carry a tune to save my life. So, <laughs> um, and I took music lessons for multiple years and I still struggle. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Noom.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What was your scariest experience ever? Mm. I would say my scariest experience. I, well, there's two that come to mind right off the bat. We'll take them both. Okay. <laughs> so in the same house that I grew up in, that I was just describing of being haunted. At some point in my er, like mid middle school years, I believe we had a malevolent infestation. And the reason I believe that is through my research, it just, it ticks all the boxes. And it it didn't feel like the entities that I had started to kind of experience the, you know, the whispered conversations. And I call them like the husband and wife. It could be different spirits, but they were acting like husband and wife, even in the afterlife. So I just called them the husband and wife team. Um, it felt different than the husband and wife. And it, it, really was extra heavy and it it started around yeah um I think I had just gone into seventh grade so it started with shadows and at first I thought the light was just playing tricks on me I started seeing shadows grow and shift and move in a way that shadows don't they don't do that and I kind of tried to play it off. I already was like at odds with my mom about the husband and wife. And like, I was kind of already the weird one for being like, our house is haunted. How do you not know our house is haunted? <laughs> and so I didn't really bring up a lot of this to my mom, but I was a babysitter and I worked at a church nursery and because um, just taking care of kids while their parents went into have mass for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I started kind of feeling like maybe something had followed me, but I don't know if there was like a weird connection between the church and my house. And my house was actually a couple of blocks away from the church. So there seemed to be some sort of weird connection. And then turns out later on the property of the church was also where I had my second scariest experience. So the, it was that kind of weird feeling of maybe these two things are connected. So the shadows started. Um, then I started being woken up in the middle of the night with really sharp stabbing pain. And it would start in my side and then it would move down to my legs or my feet. And I definitely felt like I was being stabbed or poked really hard. And I was always being woken up. And later on in doing my research, I realized oh, I was being woken up at 3 a.m., which is a pretty classic malevolent time period. Mm -hmm. Some people call that the witching hour. Some people think, um, you know, it's the mockery of the Holy Trinity, depending on your school of thought. So then it developed into, um, I was hit really, really hard with, I just had no energy and I was getting really depressed and I felt completely drained. Again, kind of a classic sign of something attaching itself to you. And then we started getting infestations of, it started with rats. <laughs> we had a rat problem in our attic that could not be explained. We had multiple exterminators come out and say, we can't really see where they're coming in from, but they're coming in from somewhere. So we had a rat problem. Then we had a fly problem. And the flies, it was almost like a scene out of The Exorcist. <laughs> it was... You know, uh, if anybody's seen the movie where the flies are kind of collecting on the windowsill and they're buzzing and they're like trying to get out and something has drawn them there. That was kind of what we were living with for a few weeks. Um, so we had a, a fly infestation. And then um, I got, <laughs> this is very embarrassing, but 
I was attacked with like, I had like fleas. So I ended up getting fleas from somewhere and we have no idea where it's not like we were living in filth, but I had fleas. My mom didn't have them. My dog didn't have them. Cause that was our first thing was, Oh, the dog brought it in. The dog didn't have them. And then, um, we asked around and, uh, people were like, Oh, well, you know, if you have a flea infestation, you'll see them at the baseboards and, and you can see like the flea eggs and stuff. Our house didn't have them. It was just me. And it was very weird. And, possibly one of the most embarrassing things to have to tell somebody like I have fleas. I have to go home and wash my hair with puppy shampoo, which was the only thing that we could find because they don't, they don't actually make human grade like flea shampoo. <laughs> so I ended up getting fleas and then the rats came back and it was just, con it was constant. And we were like, what is happening? We do not understand. And this was over a period of three months and my mood was getting worse. My mom's mood was getting worse. Just nothing seemed to be going right. I think my mom told me around that same time we were having financial trouble and it all kind of culminated in like just big fights. At one point, you know, we had a big blow up and eventually my mom decided it would be best for her to voluntarily commit herself because her mental health had declined so badly so quickly that she needed, she needed time away. And this was all in a very, it, you know, when I look back on it, I'm like, this was only like three or four months out of our lives, but it was so intense. And there were so many things. And, you know, the, the attacks kept happening. I would wake up with marks on my body, bruises. I didn't, you know, I, I don't remember how I would get them, but I would have a bruise and it just, it kept going and there, there didn't seem to be any relief. And so the church that I worked at, I talked to the priest there and he was a, a very lovely man. Um, he, I tell people he reminds me of like, if Robin Williams had decided to become an Episcopal priest, <laughs> he, he loved making jokes. He was very um, gregarious and very fun, um, but it, he was a priest. And so it was a kind of an interesting, and he had, he was very high energy and it's like, wow. And he looks like Robin Williams. So it's a very like, yeah, Robin Williams in the, priest outfit okay <laughs> so I, I talked to our priest about because I you know and I was at this point or I had just turned 13 so you know I was still a child sort of but I I had to grow up very quickly and so I ended up reaching out to him and being like I don't know what to do and he sat me down and he was like well tell me what you experienced and I went through the list and you know there were other things to mental stuff, thoughts that didn't seem like they were my own, being, again, just totally drained, not sleeping. And um, I explained everything to him. And I remember as I was talking, he just got paler and paler and paler, like the color just drained out of this man's face. And by the time I got to the end, he just was like, I don't know what to tell you just pray about it. And I was like, cool, great. <laughs> like, and you know, that's a, that's an adequate response for some people. But I think for me, I was wanting some concrete, you know, steps of here's what you do. And here's how you get rid of it. He just kind of was like, pray about it and hope for the best. And I think he gave me like a bottle of holy water and, you know, kind of sent, you know, patted me on the head and sent me on my way. And I was like, well, I tried. And eventually I had read, I was a big Barnes and Noble addict. <laughs> and I, of course, went to like the occult section and I found books about cleansing rituals and stuff. And I just remember reading um, just whichever one, I can't remember which book it was, but I remember finding just the simplest cleansing ritual I could. And at 13 being like, maybe this will work and trying my best to like banish this malevolent entity out of our home. And to be honest, I don't actually think it went anywhere. Um, anytime I visited my mom's since, I still feel, I think it retreated a little. I think it lives in the attic now, but I, I still feel like it's there. I don't think it ever really went away, but it was definitely worse when I was a, a teenager. So now it's just kind of lying dormant, it feels like. Interesting. And, and your mom still lives in the same residence? She does. She's currently trying to sell the house. So that's been an interesting experience, kind of listening to her stories about 
yeah, I thought I had a buyer and then they backed out and it's like, hmm, <laughs> not going to blame it all on the malevolent entity, but I wonder if that has something to do with it. So this intense three month period, did it just sort of fade away or did it kind of stop suddenly? Well, you said it never um, really stopped, I guess, but so... I, it, yeah, it never really stopped. I think what ended up maybe pushing it away was that I started standing up for myself, at least energetically. Um, after this like three, four month period, I think I, in you know, seeing my mom's health decline, my health decline, everything just going wrong and weird all at once. I started energetically kind of being like, nope, not today. And, you know, for a 13 year old, that's kind of a big thing to do no matter what, but especially against a unseen negative force, it's a lot of effort, but it, it felt Kind of like a good lesson to learn of you can't let things have access to you and um you know i don't think it was just that i think it must have been a combination of things and probably you know holy water definitely is gonna <laughs> do something um but i i think a combination of not allowing it access to me anymore and then also kind of saying no like, this is my home and I'm not going to let you push me around. And just having that attitude. And I, I got very um, stern very quickly. And instead of just kind of being like throwing my hands up in the air, like, I don't know what this is, kind of was like, okay, fine. I know what you are and you're not allowed in my room anymore. <laughs> it eventually got to be less of a, an issue, um, but it still felt like it was hovering. Like you could still feel this almost like there's constantly a, a haze and sometimes the haze would get worse. But for the most part, I think it, it retreated a bit, but I think it's still there. Tell us about the second experience at the church or in the church property. Right mm. Yeah. So the, the second one, which I think is why I, there must be some sort of connection between the malevolent entity at the house and then the church. But when I was working at the church nursery, I worked there for several years and the church nursery was set up kind of in the fellowship hall. Um, so it's like this big open area. And we had one room that was specifically for infants and toddlers. And then there was another kind of corner area that had more of the bigger kid play items, um, like toy kitchens and, you know, bigger toys. And then the back door that led out to the yard area, playground. I never felt comfortable in the fellowship hall by myself. I would always ask somebody to come with me. I really hated being in there by by myself or or anywhere, I don't know, it, especially by myself, but even if there was somebody maybe in the kitchen and I was on like the other end of the fellowship hall, it would feel very uncomfortable. And it always was really dark. Um, even with like all the fluorescent lighting, it was very dark. So I spent very little time, <laughs> as little time as I could manage, even though it was my job, um, as little time as I could manage being in that particular building. I started noticing that it, again, it was that feeling of being watched. And at first I was like, I'm just being paranoid because my house is haunted. So now I think everything is haunted. <laughs> and I was really trying to talk myself out of it and trying to tamper down the fear a bit and say, you know, it, it's really just in my head or I'm making too, too big of a thing out of it. It'll go away, whatever but it really never did. And I had another friend slash coworker, I guess, who also worked in the nursery with me. Turns out she was also having experiences, but she didn't want to say anything because she didn't want to sound crazy. <laughs> and so we were sitting there having these experiences and the, what ended up making the dam break was we watched a light turn on by itself. And we, we watched the light switch go from off to on because we had just we had come into the the like toddler area and we were putting stuff away and I went to turn on the light but I was I would say four feet away from the wall so I then took two steps to turn on the light and she had turned as well and at the same time we're kind of reaching for the light but we're not even close to it and the light turns on and we both just froze and we stood there and we went, what just happened? <laughs> and I turned the light off 
and then turned it back on and I turned it off and I turned it back on to make sure like, okay, is it maybe off means on, you know, maybe it's a wiring issue. Nope. Off meant off on meant on. And we had watched the believer push up. So we're like, okay. And it, I think it hit us so hard that we really just didn't know what to do. And so we just stared at each other and I said, you saw that, right? And she said, I did. And then we just kind of went about our business. <laughs> it was like, we had to put our heads down and do our job because that was the freakiest thing we'd seen. And it was that moment that it was kind of like, okay, we're not going crazy. Um, and then after our, our shift, we were standing outside in the parking lot. And at this point I was about 15. So I was waiting for my mom to come get me. And um, I was talking to her and I was like, you saw that, what is happening? And she went, every time I'm in the fellowship hall, it feels like somebody is right up behind me, breathing down my neck. And I went, oh my God, I feel that. It, it would feel like there would be somebody standing right behind you, watching your every move. And you could even, it's that feeling of, if you turn around, you might bump into somebody. And it was just, it's that oppressive feeling. Mm -hmm. She was experiencing that. She said that um, multiple times she thought she would hear footsteps coming up behind her and she'd turn around and there'd be nobody there. Just a lot of, a lot of correlating sensations and, and feelings and things that we both experienced. So we kind of were like, okay, well, what do we do? And she was like, I don't know if we can do anything. So we tried to ignore it, tried to ignore it. And what eventually uh, was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, I suppose, is that um, we had a bit of a full house in terms of kids, there were a lot of kids. So we had taken a lot of the older kids outside to play. And I was inside with um, the younger kids that were about age three to six. And so one of the little girls who was so sweet, so kind, just a, a really easy going kid, just burst into tears, no reason. And she ran up to me and she was like, the man is scaring me. And I went, what man and I thought she meant one of the other boys had scared her mm -hmm. but I had only seen her playing with like a little baby doll kind of over by one of the um, chalk easels I didn't see her playing with anybody else so I was like who can you point him out and she pointed in the corner where no one was and she said that man that man's scaring me and I just got full body chills and I was like okay, outside, <laughs> just to me, I rounded up all the other kids. And I was like, we're gonna go outside. <laughs> because I, in my I didn't know what to do in that moment, other than we I needed to remove them. This thing is now affecting children. So what do I do? And I just kind of panicked and left the room. <laughs> you know, you can't yeah. just uh, freak out and, you know, run away. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the movies, it's that the, the mom tends to be like, oh, God, and kind of freaks out. But I think I put on my best game face and was like, okay, well, then we're going to go outside. And I've been a nanny professionally for 10 years and before my writing career. So, you know, I'm good with kids and I know how to handle kid tantrums. And I know, I know what feels like a kid making up a story and what doesn't. And this did not feel like her making up a story or her just deciding she wanted to to get attention in a weird way and just the full body chill. I will never forget that it was like cold ice chips just falling from my scalp all the way down my body. And I go, I, I remember feeling just so shocked, but also like, okay, so we have to do something now. I talked to my coworker and she was like, well, I don't really know what to do, but we should probably tell Bill, our, our priest. And I went, well, he's going to think I'm the problem because I've already talked to him about what was happening in my house. And now it's, now it's in the fellowship hall. Like he's going to think I'm making stuff up, but we, we both went to him and I decided to keep my mouth as shut as possible. And I let my coworker do mo most of the talking and to his credit, he actually did listen to us and he, you know, he, um, he let, uh, he let us be heard, which I think was really important. Instead of just going, you guys are crazy. He did actually listen to what we were saying and nodded politely. And then he did a, a blessing on the fellowship hall. He did a blessing in the nursery. 
And it felt better, but it really didn't feel like it had gone away. It felt more like it had just kind of been softened. And then about a year later, I stopped working there. So I really don't know if it got worse. I don't know if it, you know, if things are still happening. But for that year after he did the blessing, he still kind of felt like something was there. It wasn't like it had been wiped clean, but it felt like maybe it couldn't quite get to us as, Mm -hmm. as easily. Fingers crossed. And yeah, I still think about that fellowship hall. I still think about the scary man who was tormenting this little girl or who, you know, had popped up in front of her. I still think about it. And I still wonder if, if he's back at it sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, even if it's a kid making stuff up, what an interesting place and time to make that up. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's the, I think that was also probably what was the clincher for me was that it it wasn't, you know, she's not making it up in front of her parents. She's not making it up in order to leave or to go home sooner or to not go home. You know, it wasn't. And it didn't feel like a tantrum. It really felt like she was just playing with a baby doll. And I remember the sound of her crying. And it really was, you know, when you work with kids for a long time, you kind of know the difference between a real cry and a like tantrum cry mm-hmm. or an I'm hungry cry or, you know, all of the other varying cries. And a real panicked cry, it's very visceral. And it's very, like, it makes the reptilian part of your brain wake up and go, oh no, something's wrong. That definitely happened. And, you know, and she never made up anything prior to that. She didn't have a, you know, we we had some troublemakers in our group and we had some kids where if one of them said something happened, we'd probably be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> or, you know, we'd maybe think take it with a grain of salt, but she never did anything like that before. And as far as I'm aware, she never did anything quite like that after. So I really had no reason not to believe her. And I still remember the look on her face. I remember the tears. I remember the sound of her crying. And I just remember knowing we all needed to leave. Whatever was happening, we all just had to leave because it was not something bad was going to happen. The other thing is to see that light switch go on, like to actually, of all the stories I've taken about lights going on and off and so forth, I can't think of one where someone actually saw the light switch, you know, turn on. Yeah. That had to have been pretty pretty moving i mean and, and well, thankfully someone else saw it too like the, yeah usually, i you usually it, don't it, have that backup you have some you have to tell somebody i just saw the leg switch going and they go okay crazy you know exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly it, it was and i think honestly that might have been one of the reasons why i was like oh this is an intelligent haunting because to me it, you know in replaying it in my mind it's like i remember where i was standing i remember where my coworker was standing and I remember how far away I was from the light and we're taught, you know, I had just said, oh, let me turn on the, and then as I, I'm still four feet away, but I had my arm reached out. And then she kind of also had the, I remember us talking about it and her kind of going, yeah, I started to turn to also turn on the light, but we're too far away and we're walking towards the light and we're both staring at it. And in that moment is when this entity decided to turn on the light. And it's that weird, like, you know, some people might be like, oh, he's being helpful. That to me felt like him saying, I'm here and I'm watching and I'm listening and I'm, I'm present. And it was so unnerving. And yeah, I lucky, I guess, in that way of, I had somebody there who also saw it and we immediately could turn to each other and go, that was real. Right. <laughs> and have that confirmation. But yeah, it was, it, it was like somebody had it, wrapped fishing wire or something around, you know, it, like a, a special effect in a movie, only it was right in front of me. And I, I've i never seen anything quite like that since. And that was just the beginning, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. So at any time in your life, have you had sleep paralysis? I have not, actually. I have heard so many accounts of it, but I myself have never had sleep paralysis. Um, I actually joke that I as pretty much as soon as I lay down, I'm not a a particularly um, like fitful sleeper. Like I will wake up maybe multiple times a night if I'm not doing too well, either mentally or physically. But um, in terms of like 
being able to sleep, pretty much as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm out, but I don't remember my dreams very often. So I've never experienced sleep paralysis. What about you ever see a UFO? Well, I get, I've never seen, actually, no, I have. <laughs> Sorry, it took me a minute. Yes, I have. I've seen, I believe it was a UFO of some kind. I didn't see any of the alien creatures in the crap. We just saw an unidentified flying object. And I was with my mom in the car, probably about nine. And we were driving on a busier road in Greensboro. We were coming back from my grandparents' house. And I remember looking out the window and thinking that the light that I saw was a street light. And then I realized that the street light wasn't moving. And then I kind of was like, oh, maybe it's a helicopter. And I went, hey, is that a helicopter? And kind of pointed at it. And I remember my mom going, that doesn't look like a helicopter. And it was just a, a ball of light that didn't move. It was completely stationary. And it didn't seem to get bigger. It didn't seem to get smaller. It didn't have any sort of tra trajectory, like a an airplane would or um, a helicopter would. And it didn't zip around or anything. It was just completely stationary. And it was so weird. <laughs> like, it, I remember, like, leaning you know, kind of pressing my face up against the window to watch it, leaning towards the windshield, watching it, and it just never seemed to move. And even my mom was like, I can't tell what that is. And I think we just tried to play it off a little of, well, maybe it's, maybe it is a helicopter and we're just not, you know, we are in a moving car, maybe where there's some sort of like weird eye trick or whatever that's happening. And we're just not seeing it move or whatever. But it, I really don't remember it zipping around or, or making any sort of movement that would look like anything that we knew as, a, as an aircraft. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't really see the shape of it either. It was just a, a big ball of light. And um, yeah, it hovered kind of right above the tree line for, a, I don't I mean, we were on that road for a while. I'm really bad with time, but I feel like it had to have been at least like 30 seconds. So 30 seconds of a stationary light just hanging in the air. And then we eventually had to take the highway. So we, we left it, but it was just there. But does that technically count as a UFO sighting? <laughs> I mean, I guess, cause it's unidentified, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, what I try to do with these questions of, of sleep paralysis and, and UFO sightings, when people tell these, these multiple experience stories, I like to establish that, people tend to have these multiple experiences. It's not unusual. Like for, if, right. so, if somebody sees one thing, they tend to see something else. These things tend to happen. My theory is now that it's actually more common than not for people to experience multiple things in, in the past. They used to say, Oh, like if you were into UFOs, you didn't want to hear anybody was there. You know, if they had a UFO story and a Bigfoot story or a UFO story and a ghost story, you didn't want to hear the other stuff. You just want to hear mm -hmm. the UFO stories. My point is to establish that these things seem to happen to people they tend to have these multiple experiences and it tends to be true it's not always true but it does tend to be true if somebody tells me they've had experiences throughout their life you know usually sleep paralysis usually ufos if not both you know it's it's, it's just a very interesting thing for me to catalog so yeah i say it counts yeah okay <laughs> and i think you're right too i think if you have one experience or maybe multiple experiences maybe you're just more tapped in or maybe your eyes are open a little bit more and you're able to witness things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I, I do like to, to catalog all this stuff. Yeah. My Friend Mothman, A Tale of Friendship Between a Girl and a Cryptid by Lauren Devora. This is your book. It's a great read for younger readers. Um, or, I, I mean, it's a fun read if you're just interested in the topic. It's it's sort of a, a lighthearted, in the end, kind of Mothman story. I did. I wrote it. For YA readers and people who wanted a sentimental, kind of heartfelt book that wasn't going to take too much brain power. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think friend is the operative word in the title there. I think there's there's a lot about friendship throughout the book that's uh, yeah. kind of heartwarming. Oh, I'm really glad you liked it. Do you have any other books? Um, yes. Yeah, so I am currently working on my Children of Lilith series. There's two out right now. I'm currently working on the third. Um, you can find those on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Kobo, 
um, my website, laurendevora.com. And um, yeah, I'm working on other stuff too. Some stuff I can't talk about yet, um, which is exciting. And then um, I also have a podcast myself, if it's okay to plug that. Of course. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, a friend of mine, Eric, and I have a podcast called Welcome to the Speakeasy. And we discuss historical events and people from history and fiction. And we also have a cocktail while we discuss. And so it's just a lot of bantering back and forth and hyper fixating on a thing that we decided we wanted to learn about. And it's a lot of fun. We have, uh, I believe, 50 episodes up right now. And you can find that on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> What's the name of the Welcome to the Speakeasy with Lauren and Eric. Awesome. And give your website one more time. LaurenDevora.com. L-A-U-R-E-N-D-E-V-O-R-A.com. All right, Lauren. Thank you so much for telling your stories. Thank you so much, Tim. This is great. Well, since this is the second episode of the week, we're not going to do a photo of the week with this episode. But I do want to thank our patrons, as I always thank them. Thank you for your support. If you like our show and you want to hear more, go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. You can sign up there and get bonus episodes. If you don't like the idea of a monthly or yearly subscription like Patreon and you just want to make a one-time donation, you can go to strangefamiliars.com, look in the show notes under any episode, You'll see a paypal.me link, and you can make a one-time donation there. Of course, that helps us a great deal as well. If you purchase something from our Etsy shop, that helps a great deal, of course. Shop name is Lost Grave, one word. There's links in the show notes. Or you can type in Strange Familiars, and our stuff will come up as well. Check out Chad's shop on Etsy, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. Check out our friend's Karmic Garden as well. We will be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you'd like to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com. When you see millions of the mouses dead Across your dreams and battalions go Say not so things other men have said that you remember for you need not so Give them not praise For death how should they know It is not curses Heaped on each gash Nor tears Their blind eyes See not your tears flow
Standing o'er the o'ercrowded mass should you Perceive the one face that you loved heretofore Sold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.